0: Some people lead with their hearts or
1: emotions. Why would that be unwise? You know, when a leader makes a decision, um, he needs to have something that he's focused upon. And if you're leading by emotions and feelings, that'll drift. Many times it'll change depending on, you know, what the traffic is like or whether your kids are screaming in the car. So leaders have to have something that's grounded for them to uh, focus on when they make decisions. How is it different when you make a decision because you
0: love God?
1: Loving God is like that core that keeps you centered. And uh, when you are involved in decision-making, as I was on the bench and even here as a pastor, there are many, many factors that will change by the day. But when you have God at the center, regardless of what the issue is, regardless of what the circumstances may be like, you can always center yourself back on what God, would, what, what God would want. When
0: you left your career as a judge to become a pastor, how
1: did you come to make that life-changing decision? Boy, that was a, it wasn't the kind of decision where you flip a coin. You know, when you make a life-changing decision, I believe it's a decision that you're making on a journey. And God has you on a journey I think too many times we wanna be focused on the result. God, get me there, I want that job, I want that uh, money decision, I want that house. And we're so focused on the results when God is a God of the journey. I say he's a Jesus journey God, you know, where he accompanies us and he walks with us. And it's along the way that God will show you the little things that you need to catch if you're focused on the journey rather than the result. And so the decision that I made to move from the bench, judicial bench into ministry was about two and a half years time. Well, I sought out the word of God. I would read his word every day. And it wasn't where God's word said, you will be a judge, Uh, you will be a pastor. Um, God's word was really impressing upon me one word. And that was trust. Are you willing to trust me? And that decision led to another and another. And as you can see today, it wasn't where my end job was becoming a pastor. You know, God has continually moved beyond, but the center of that was can you trust God?
0: Well, wow, that's a word for us today, trust. And that's the question, do we trust God? Do we trust him enough to love him? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, can we just thank Pastor Elwin Ahu for sharing that and, and the decision that he has to make in, in the things that he does. And, and even in his career, you know, we all want to make the right decision. And we normally say, well, well, just follow your heart. Whatever your heart leads you to do, follow your heart. But we all know that we all have foolish hearts. Sometimes following our heart is not the best thing because we're filled with emotion. And so, when Jesus comes on the scene in being the ultimate leader, he addresses a couple things that has to do with the heart. Now, the heart is deceitful, the Bible tells us. And we know that there are things that happen in our heart from our past that has corrupted how we make decisions today. There are thousands of songs with the word heart in them. Thousands. And some of us know these songs. In fact, I'm going to play a couple of these songs. And I want you to kind of guess what these songs are, okay? We're just going to play a clip. And I want you to guess what this song is. See if you can, okay? You're going to show your age. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I know you know this song because you're smiling and bobbing your head. The ones that don't, you're like... What song is that? Do you know? How do you men a broken heart? So who sang that? Bee Gees. Okay. Let's try this one. Sounds like a video game intro. Okay. Do you guys know this song? Okay. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I remember those days. Uh, so that one is called? Heart of rock and roll. So some of you know that. Let's try this one. (laughs) You should be able to catch this one because it's. You know this one, right? What is this one? Achy, breaky heart. Didn't turn out well for the guy who wanted to, you know, who broke his heart or whatever. Okay, so that's that one. Let's try this one. (laughs) Some some of you guys are like, oh, never heard it before. The The more younger ones are like, oh, I remember this song. Who's that? Backstreet Boys. That's not why I'm growing this, okay? I'm just letting you know that. Okay, final song. Okay, what song is that? Who sings that? Some of you guys, I didn't even know that song. Who sings that? Who's that? Is that Adam Levine? Okay, that's what she, they're telling them in his. So if you look at those different songs, it's amazing, right? The songs that go on through time, they change, and some are familiar, some we don't know, some is, oh, I kind of remember that, but all of them have one thing in common. It has to do with the... Heart, whether it's an achy, breaky heart, whether you broke my heart, whether you can mend the heart. Uh, some, of, some of us use the word heart in so many different ways. We say it like this Oh, that, that person is horrible. They broke my heart. Or they say, Wow, that person is, you know, they're very emotional and they wear their heart on their sleeve. So the heart is, is talked about often, it's sung about, the Bible is filled with the word heart almost 800 times, I think over 800 times, the Bible talks about the heart. The heart is, is kind of like, a, it's the seat of our emotions. It's that inner man. Some cultures would think that the kidney was the seat of all emotions. Some thought it was the brain that was the seat of all emotions. But the Bible talks about the heart in such a way that it really dictates what we're going to do and, and helps us in making decisions. The problem with that, however, and if you take out your notes from your bulletin is that Jeremiah 17:9 tells us this: that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. See, sometimes we focus on the heart more than we do focusing on following God. And I would say let's kind of switch that today. Let's focus on God rather than focusing only on our heart, how we feel, especially our emotions, because the heart is the deceitful one. Our hearts are deceitful. And the Bible says it is the most deceitful of all. You may be thinking, no, it's my spouse, they're deceitful. No, this person is deceitful. No, the economy, no, the government, they're deceitful. No, the human heart is the most deceitful above all other things. See, you follow the ultimate leader in Jesus Christ, he will never mislead you. Your heart will mislead you. Oh, sometimes we'll get it right, but it'll mislead you. God will never mislead you. He's always on task. He knows exactly what needs to take place. See, the heart wants what it wants, when it wants it, at all costs. Once you set your heart on something, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Have you ever uh, had someone that you, you, you're talking with and, and they're just stubborn, that they're not listening? You're trying to tell them over and over, over and over certain things, but they're just not listening. They're just stubborn. Even though they're wrong, they still think they're right. And you can tell them the same thing over and over. They can be dead wrong. And they grumble about it even though they're wrong. And now they're grumbling about it because they're mad because they're proven wrong. It's like we want to be right. You know where that comes from? It comes from our heart. Some of you are laughing, bumping someone next to you. Oh, this is the wrong place to do that. Actually, the right place to do that because you guys are not going to fight right now. But that's, that's, it happens because of the heart. The heart is deceitful. So now when it comes to loving God, It's difficult. Because the heart is deceitful. So Jesus brings balance. He brings a balance to everyone. Because out of the heart, as Matthew 15, 19 says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. It comes out of the heart. That's where everything is going to take place. See, Jesus brings balance to this. He addressed the issues of the heart. People were asking him questions, and so Jesus brought balance because they were trying to follow the ways of God but not with everything that they consist of. They didn't follow him with everything that they were made of. They weren't following God with all their being. They were just trying to follow the ways of God intellectually, and Jesus had to address this. So Jesus deals with some people who did not believe in life after death. They were called the Sadducees. He also dealt with people who did believe in life after death. But they followed the ways or the law of God to the T. They were called the Pharisees. So Jesus addressed these people. And, and in Matthew 22 verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, he's speaking of Jesus because they asked him a question, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, so an educated man, asked him a question. He asked Jesus a question testing him. So it wasn't to gain knowledge. It wasn't to get the record straight. It was to test Jesus because this was going to be a difficult question to answer. And the way Jesus would answer this would determine how Jesus thinks and how he would live his life and and how he viewed what they viewed as the main thing of following God, which was the law of God. So the lawyer asked Jesus, teacher. So notice how he addresses Jesus. Teacher. Not son of God, not savior, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now the book of Mark adds in strength to it, but then it continues. This is the first and greatest commandment, the first and great commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says this, what he's saying is all the law and all the prophetic words that were being shared and what were being written down, all of what they've shared, if not for loving God and loving people, that's not going to matter. Because all of that rests on loving God and loving people. They found over, they, they, They looked at 613 laws and from those 613 commandments, if you were, they identified those as this is what it takes to know God. If you're in a relationship with God or if if you want to follow God's ways, there's 613 commandments. Now that's added on to the 10 because people would say, wait, wait, if this situation happened, then what? Okay, we got to have a law for that. Okay, if this situation happened, then what? So they would have to add and add and add. And Jesus said, hang on. You keep adding. But it really rests on these two. And then they identified 248 of them being positive laws or commandments. And then the the rest, 365, being negative. So they, they felt like some sins were worse than others. They felt like, okay, these sins... They're are more the positive sins, these ones are the bad sins, and Jesus was saying, hey, hang on, yeah, there's there's greater sin, but you're 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 now making it so difficult for people to understand. And so Jesus said, here it is: love God and love people. See what the Pharisees were trying to do is they were trying to solve sin externally. The do's and the don'ts, the regulations. If you do this, then this. If you do that, then that's going to happen. If you do this, then that shows this. But Jesus said, no, no. You guys are addressing it externally. And you can hide that. But I'm going to address it internally with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's an internal battle that takes place. And when Jesus said that it's an internal battle, then the Pharisees got offended. Because they knew their hearts were wicked. They knew that they weren't doing according to the law in their hearts. They did the actions of it, but inside, as Jesus addressed them, they were full of dead men's bones. They were so-called doing the right things, but with the wrong motive, with the wrong heart. And Jesus said, no, 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 you got it wrong. You got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, of course, your strength. That's why he said that. He's saying, and then you need to love your neighbor like yourself. See, that, that, that phrase, that scripture was known as a Shema. That the, it was something that every Jew memorized. And they would actually wear it on their foreheads. And if you read the Bible, that's what they did. They put it on their foreheads. Again, it's external. And they called it the phylacteries. They would have it on the, on the outside of their foreheads, thinking that it's going to transpire from this to your lifestyle. But everything was external, and Jesus said, no, you have it wrong. It's backwards. It all comes from the inside. And Jesus was saying, instead of trying to figure out the commandments, which one is worse, which ones are greater, which ones are negative, which ones are positive, he said, go back to the basics of loving God with all you got. And he says, if you can, if you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you can love your neighbor as yourself, he says, everything else will fall into place. You don't have to worry about all the commandments and all the other, the the good, the so-called positive ones and the negative ones. He says, if you love God, you'll be fine. One man said it this way, love God with all you got and then do whatever you want after that. Isn't that interesting? Because when you love God, the decisions that we make are not going to come out of a selfish, deceitful heart. It's going to come out of a love for God. See, many of us make decisions not based on our love for God, but based on how we feel emotionally. I'm mad today, so I'm going to treat someone like this. You, you said something mean to me, so I'm going to treat you like this. I'm not even going to talk to you at all. We, we base our actions on reaction rather than loving God. See, when you love God with all your being, you will naturally follow his lead. The Ten Commandments can be broken up in two parts. The first four is loving God. That has to do with everything of God. You shall not bow down before any other idol. You shall not worship any other God before me. And then the, the, the second half, which is the, the rest, is all about loving other people. You know, honoring your parents. You shall not lie or bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. All of these things. Now, if you break up those two, it really comes down to loving God and loving people. When I love God, I won't have to worry about idols in my life. They just won't be there. It just, they just won't be there. If I love others as I love myself because I love God, then I won't have to worry about how I speak to Heidi or, I, or how I treat my wife or how I treat my family members or how I treat other people. If I'm loving God and loving people, everything else falls into place. And so when Jesus addressed this, it was, it was a new thing for people. So when Jesus addressed this, what does it mean to love God in these ways? Well, let's kind of take it apart. Heart, soul, and mind. First of all, with the heart. The Hebrews believe that this is the center of one's being, the seat of all emotions. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, above all, things, above all things, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That's the heart. The soul, they referred to as their emotion. You know, when you, when you hear a good song, you're just filled with emotion. That's what, that's what they looked at. It was their, their, their emotional side. Matthew 26, 38, it says, Then he said to them, and this is Jesus, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. You know when Jesus said that, You know why he said that? He was just about to go to the cross. And his emotions got to him. And he says, boy, right now, right now my soul, my emotions are taking over. I'm deeply grieved. My emotions are tough to deal with right now. That's why he said to his disciples, remain here with me, watch with me, pray with me. Because of the soul. And then the mind. This is where the thought process takes place. And this is where all of the energy is stored up in, in our mind. You know, like sports. Uh, this, this past week, we were on Oahu. And I, I got to play basketball with my, my brother and uh, two of my, my uh, relatives, nephews. And one of them, were, he, he's in high school, and he said, "Oh, I'm so tired And he he ate a lot of candy after school as well as um, seed, like mui. He ate almost a half bag. And so he's not feeling good. He didn't eat anything after school except that he didn't even drink any water. And he says, I'm tired. My back is sore. And I said, okay, listen, because I like winning if I know we can win. If our team is junk, we're supposed to lose. But if I think we can win then we're going to do our very best. And I told him, listen, I know you're tired, your back is sore, and you only ate seed. But that's how you feel. Play with all your mind. If you can play with your mind, that's 99% of the game. You're going to feel tired in competition. You're going to have injuries. You're going to not feel like you want to play. But that's where your mind takes over. And that's what the Bible talks about. There's going to be times where emotion is going to get the best of you. You're not going to feel like you want to worship God. You're not going to feel like you want to read the Bible. You're going to feel like you want to stay home. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to go deeper into being discipled on a Wednesday night. You don't want to. But the mind says this is good for you. You must do this for your heart and your soul and your whole being. Your mind has to take over. Because we know... We know what is good for us. And we know what is not good for us. We've been there. And so the mind has to take over. And that's when Jesus says you got to love God with all your mind. See, in other words, what Jesus was saying is a, a genuine love for God is intelligent, it's feeling, it's willing, and it's serving. It's intelligent. It thinks good thoughts. We use our mind to love God. We use our, our, our feeling to love God. We use our will to love God. We use our hands to love God. We serve God. And Jesus was addressing that. Now some people can be unbalanced. They love God with all their mind. So they know all of these things, but they have no passion for people. They have no love for people. They know the scriptures. They'll even quote it to you. They'll, they'll let you know what you're doing is wrong. They'll, they'll use scriptures against you. And they'll say, here it is. No, this is what it is. And so they love God with their mind. And, and so in their mind, they're doing the right thing. I remember when I first came to know the Lord. And I started to study scripture. I memorized scripture. I would learn the books of the Bible from beginning to end. And I would memorize it. And I felt good. And when the pastor would talk about a scripture, I'd be like, I know that scripture. I know that scripture. I got it down. And then when I would be around my family and my friends and they would do something, I would say, hey, you know what God says? You know, the Word of God says, and I would quote it. And then someone would do something, even Christians, and I would say, you know, yeah, but this is what the Word of God says. It came a time where my sister told me, Sheldon, I know you know God. I'm sure you love Him. But enough already. I'm tired of hearing it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're always talking to us about God. You're always telling us what we're doing is wrong. You're always telling us about Scripture. Enough. Enough. And then she said this. This changed my life. She said, show me what you mean. Don't tell me. I'm tired of you telling me. I was like, well, you like scrap. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? She said, just enough already. Just show me. And I tell you, that was hard to do because by the time I wanted to tell her something as we continued to grow and, and, uh, and, and when I would be with them... When I wanted to say something, I thought, wait a minute, I have to show it. How do I show it? And you know that was one of the most difficult transitions. I knew. Was I right? Absolutely. Was I correct doctrinally? Theoretically? Absolutely. Yeah, the word of God. But I wasn't loving God with my heart. I was loving him with my mind and treating people that way too. So Jesus had to bring a balance. He said, yeah, you love him with your mind, but you also got to love him with your heart and your soul. Now some people, they love God with all their heart, but not with their mind and not with their strength or not with their heart, soul, mind. Yeah, the other two. Some people just love him with their heart or with their mind or with their heart. And so now they're, because they're loving him with their heart, it's all about emotion. It's all about the feel good. Oh, no, 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 you got to come to church. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel good. And, and they're correct. So I'm not saying that's wrong. It'll make you feel better. Or when somebody is, is stuck in some uh, uh, horrific situation because of sin, they're so emotionally attached to them, they never address the truth. It's all about, no, 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 God loves you the way you are. He loves you the way you are. No, you don't have to change. He loves you the way you are. Now, that's loving them with heart. But there's not the intellectual mind attached to it. And so if you love people with all your heart, or you love God just with your heart, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? And if we only love people with our heart, or only love God with our heart, we'll we'll be unbalanced. And some people love God with just all their passion, yet they have... They have yet to discipline themselves to get into the Word of God, to study Scripture, to develop a deep devotion to God's Word, to prayer. The heart is there. The passion is there. But the discipline of following God with all of their mind is yet to be learned, as well as their soul. Now, some people, they love God with their soul, feeling, or they love God with their strength, They'll do things for God. And Jesus said, yeah, you're kind of like this. And so he addressed it all the way across. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, everything else will be be fine. You'll be okay. Imagine that if we loved God the way Jesus said to love God. I think that's why when Jesus spoke with Peter, one of his disciples, about his relationship. Remember, Peter denied Christ and then... uh, Jesus died and then came back to life and then he asked Peter, do you love me? He didn't say to Peter, hey, do you have faith in me, Peter? Or Peter, do do you have the right scriptures memorized? Peter, are you theoretically correct? He just went to the basics. Peter, do you love me? Because Jesus knew that if Peter loved him, it's a different kind of love than like an infatuated kind of love. Because we, we know that kind of love. I remember when I first met Heidi, you know that when you first meet your, your loved one or, or the person that you married, when you first met them, that, that new love, that when you first saw them and when you started dating, it was everything was so new. Butterflies, nervous. You didn't even know what to say. You didn't know how to speak to each other. You would gaze at each other's eyes. There was just a, a, a different look to you. People could know that, oh, well, they're, they're falling in love. They're, they're, and people probably would tell you that. They would let you know, hey, you like this person, don't you? Or you love this person. You could tell. You would hold hands in the park. You would sit down at the park. And you would be that close. Why? Because that was your first love. And then you got married. And then things changed. And you left that first Love. And so things are different. You don't gaze into each other's eyes anymore. You look at each other differently. You may not walk hand in hand at the park. You drive by the park. Honey, let's go sit on the bench. For what? (laughs) It's different now. It's kind of like we left that initial love that we used to have before. And people who have been married for a while, they don't do what they did at first. You can kind of tell. Remember, I know this is kind of gross, but you used to share gum. Now it's like, I have gum. Give me a clean one. I don't want one from your mouth. But in the beginning, it was, oh, no, thank you. We share gum. Oh, that's so gross now. Give me my own pack. You did those things. But this happens in our faith as well. When we first come to know Jesus Christ, it's all about him. But after a while, affection is lost. We we do the things of God, but we don't have the passion that we used to. The fire is gone. We don't communicate with God like how we used to. It it, it fades over time. Jesus addressed this in his resurrected form in the book of Revelation. And it's in your notes in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, he says, Write these things Says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, "I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. And I have labored and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary." So up until this point, Jesus is saying, you're doing everything right. You're you're loving God with everything you have except one thing. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And he uses this word repent as a way to change the way you think. Change your course of direction. Head back into the direction that God has you and that he has for your path in life. In other words, he's saying, do the things you used to do. And this letter that was written to this church in Ephesus was a second generation Christian family. They knew about God. They were raised up in a Christian home, but they forgot and left their first love. They just, they, they never did the things they used to do. And that can happen to us in loving God. Remember when we first came to church? Oh, we, we wanted to serve everywhere. We wanted to serve wherever we could. We just couldn't, we couldn't not be serving God. We, we had to serve God because we had so much passion for God. We had a love for God. And so I would want to use my giftings for God. I would want to greet. I would want to be in the parking lot. I would want to cook. I would want to clean. Hey, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And then you, you team up with other people and then, and then you learn that, well, not everybody is holy in church. Some people are still raw. They're still coming to know the Lord and so you get offended. Someone says something to you and so you take offense to it and you say, oh, I'm not going to come here anymore. Oh, I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm going to take a break. Just going to take a break. What are you taking a break from? Think about it. What are we taking a break from? If you're taking a break from people offending you, you're in the wrong world. If you're taking a break from the busyness of life, you're definitely in the wrong world. Now, I understand we take time off from certain things. We've got to regather ourselves, replenish. But to say I'm taking a break from God, that's tough. i got to search my heart when I start thinking about that i got to go back to what Jesus was saying. Go back to your first love. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Did you know that leaving our first love, that, 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 that first love with God is a fallen state? That I've fallen away from Him. I've left my first love for God. What Jesus is not saying is that... that that um, emotional side of it. You know, the, the feel-good kind of butterfly-ish kind of thing. You know, when you first meet, you have those butterflies. And, and that which brought you together, that first love, is not which, that, that which keeps you in your marriage. Because in our marriage, we don't, we don't do the things that we used to, which is probably why we get into trouble in our marriage and the marriage falls apart. But that secondary love, that deeper love, The love that is not a butterfly kind of love. It's a different kind of love. It's a deeper love. It's a marriage kind of love. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have butterflies. Not saying that when you look into each other's eyes, you shouldn't still have sparkles for one another. Right now, you should have flames if you're married. So it should be more than just sparkles. It should be more than just fluttery kind of love. It should be a undevoted, undying, unconditional kind of love. That's the love that Jesus is talking about that sustains our relationship in marriage. He's saying that's the kind of love that will sustain your relationship with God. He says, But you got to do the things you did at first. What got you to the place for you to make that commitment with God? He's saying, That's the love I'm looking for. He was saying, You people, he's talking to this church, you're hardworking people, you're doing all the right things. But they were in a sticky situation because there was something hindering their success that was undetectable. And it was their first love. No one can recognize when you leave your first love. And they didn't lose a love for God. They left their love for God. That's why Jesus says you you can come back. You can remember. You can repent. And you can repeat that process because you're going to leave it. You come back to it. See, they substituted the heart work of God. The heart work for God. And they substituted hard work for God. Jesus was saying, yeah, you're doing all these things. Yeah, great, but you left your first love. The question I would ask us is, have we substituted hard work for God? for heart work for God. And here's how we know the difference. If I'm constantly complaining, if I'm constantly saying, oh, this, they should do this. They, who is they anyway? They should do this. You know what they said? You know what they did? Or at work, you know what they didn't do? You know what they should do? If, I, if I'm constantly saying that and I've forgotten my first love, it's an indication that something is not right here. i got to go back to loving God. You all know this people will fail you. Even the best people in your life will fail you. And if you're going on that of loving God and loving people, then you're starting on the wrong foundation. And that's what Jesus was addressing to the second generation, he, to the second generation of Christians in Ephesus. He's saying, you, you've forgotten where your foundation is. It's not in the hard work for God, it's in the heart work for God how much do you love God and then it it trickles into our marriage and our finances even our relationship with God or our children or our loved ones and things don't get better if we don't go back to what we used to do when when we first came to know the Lord and loving him King David experienced that remember he he sinned with Bathsheba and he it didn't just show up all of a sudden David remember David was a, a musician he had a heart for God. He wrote most of the book of Psalms. And if you read it, oh, his love for God, oh, I, how I love you, God. But then after a while, it changed. Something changed. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege, siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed in Jerusalem. In other words, when the kings would go out to battle, which is what David was meant to do, that's who he was called to be. He settled for staying in Jerusalem. He settled for being comfortable. He settled for being in his, in his, on his throne. He settled for that. He said, no, we got it. They can take it out. And they won the battle. Because David stayed back, that's when he caught Bathsheba. He saw her. That's when he, he looked for her. He, he requested her. And that's when he sinned. Everything changed after that. Because David didn't love God at that time, that specific moment, with his heart. He missed it. And he, he was Unbalanced. And so everything changed. And then you read the book of Psalms. Oh, boy, has his heart changed. His future changed. Everything was different. He went from loving poetry, loving God, and loving the things of God to a bitter soul. And he had to fight to get back to his first love. And so I want to let you know, it's a fight to get back to your first love because this person is going to come up. That thought is going to come up. Oh, what they said. Oh, what they did. Oh, this person hurt me. That person did this. All of that. You're going to have to battle. You're going to have to win that battle to get back to your first love. And the way you do that is loving God with all your mind. You don't go by what you feel or what by someone, what someone said. You go by what the Lord is saying, who he says you are, that you're a chosen generation. You're, you're kings and, and queens. You're, you're part of his royal priesthood. That's who you are, not what people said. You got to remember who you are in Him, not who you are in this world. So you can tell when you first fall in love because everything is brand new. Everything's forgivable. Everything's okay. You know when you when you, sometimes you'll be walking by the park or or any place or maybe even like a, like a bus stop or something and then you see two teenagers and they're like making out in public. And you're like, oh, gross. You used to do that. No lie. You used, to do, you used to do that too. But for some reason as you grew up and then you got married as husband and wife, you don't do that in public anymore. You, you just don't do that. You have a home, that's why now. So you, 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 you don't need to do that outside. But you've changed now. You can kind of tell when, when someone's been married and when they're dating. And kind of how long they've been married. Because we go through those seasons. Like when you're dating, you're all over each other. <gasps> huggy, huggy, feely, feely. You know, you're, you're, you're all, all over each other. And then you get married, you're still kind of tight together. You're holding hands, kind of swinging arms, walking in the store. You're having fun together. But then after some years of marriage, you didn't even wait for each other. You close the door, you just walk. And Heidi and I would watch this all the time. And I got to catch myself too. I watch people and I'm like, Heidi, look at the guy. Look at his wife. She stays far behind. And, and everybody's okay with it. The wife humbly just walks behind. Or some husbands, they just humbly walk behind. The wife is just gone. And I look at that and I say, they've been married for a long time. And then you know those who've been married for like 50, 60 years and they, they, they love each other, they love God. They, they wait for each other. They're there for each other. See, there's a deeper love that God is looking for. And he's saying that only takes place when you love me. Not that first initial attraction that brought you to me. Although that's great, it's not always going to feel good. You will go through battles. But there needs to be a deeper love to sustain you. And if you love God, then you would have some kind of personal relationship with God. It kind of proves that you love God. I have a relationship with God. And I, 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 I know it's true. It's real. And you love the things he loves. You love people who are lost. People who don't know God. People who are far from God. That's a, that's a way you know I love God. Because I love my relationship with him. I mean there's no real measurement like a, like a thermometer kind of thing but but there are some indications that say, okay, I, I, I know that I love God because you love being with him. You love spending time with him. You love being in the word of God. You love gathering together with the saints or those that know God. You gather together. You love coming to church. You love participating. You're not a spectator anymore. You love being among God's people, even though some of us still hard hardhead. You still love being around people. You know how to love people because you love God. And you love people who are far from God because they don't know yet. Psalm 119, it says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Do you think about God's word all day long? In a way that's pleasing to him and then it serves other people. Not just an emotional attraction that makes you feel good. But a genuine love for God. See, when you love God, you, you, you love what he loves, but you also hate what he hates. And the Bible says he hates evil. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. The question is this, do you hate evil? When you see something on TV, do you, do you turn away from it because it's not, it's not good for your soul? Or when you're on YouTube and you see people getting hurt and injured, do you like that? Or do you say that's, you know, that's I gotta I gotta hate that which is evil. You don't hate people. You hate the evil that is in people. As God loves the sinner, not the sin, so too he says you gotta love people. And you love people how I love people. Because it indicates to us, okay, I I know I'm loving God. The other thing is you love other Christians that you love other believers. If anyone, these are people on your team in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to switch a little. I want to speak to Christians this morning. If you're a believer, if you believe in Jesus, I'm going to say something that might rock your world. You may even give me an email after this. And if you want to give me an email, please send it to Marsha at New Hope Hilo. I'm just, I'm just playing. <laughs> First John three fourteen it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And it's speaking to Christian brothers and sisters. He who does not love his brother abides in death. In other words, if you don't love other Christians, you're still dead. You have not come to life as how Christ says we are to live. It is I who no longer live but Christ in me. If we have a hard time loving one another, we got to go back to, do I actually love God? He who loves God but hates his brother cannot do that. The Bible tells us that. You also know you love God, that you look forward to being with Jesus. You look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. You look forward to the day when Jesus comes back. Now, I know some of us, we do this, Jesus, please come back. Can't wait for you to come back and rescue all of us from this world. I understand that. That's more out of, I don't want to be in this world. I don't like my situation. I don't like what I see. But do you look forward to his return? Do you look forward to the day that Jesus comes back in the sense of welcoming him? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 4, 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing today as well as when he comes back? Do you love when Jesus appears in your life? Do you love when he appears in your heart? When you're about to do something and then you just sense that spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit speaks to you and then the Lord shows up. and says, no, nope, shouldn't do that. Do you love that? Or you're like, oh, Man. And because we say this, you know, if I never know Jesus, if I never know Jesus, slaps. (laughs) That's what we say. But do we love when Jesus appears or or does he ruin our day? And that can be a good thing too, but does he ruin us in the way we don't like to be ruined? Like, I wanted to do that, but because I know God, I can't. Or do we say, you know, I wanted to do that, but Lord, because I love you, I choose not to. See, different heart, same action. But he looks at our heart, and then you keep his commandments. And we actually keep his commandments. That's how we know we love God. John 14, 21, it says, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. See, I think for us today, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for mostly those who believe in God. Let me address those who you're, you're coming to know God. Maybe you have not accepted him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're looking at it as, well, I, I don't know if I want to give everything I have to God because then if I do, then I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to obey him. I'm going to have to do these things. No, no, no. Focus on loving God. That's, that's what Jesus was saying. He will, He was saying, don't don't focus on the the rules of it or the do's and don'ts or the commandments of it. Focus on loving God. Because when you're loving God, then then everything else falls into place. When you're loving God and you make a mistake, you get better. But if you try to just not make mistakes, you're going to make a mistake. And then you're going to beat yourself over the head because you keep making mistakes. But when you love God, love conquers all fears. Love never fails. I was talking to one of my friend's daughters and she just has these uh, unbelievable visions and dreams and and she just has a love for God and and she's a young adult and she said this because one of her friends or maybe her sister was battling with something and, and she said this and I wanted to quote this to you because I thought this was so profound and I think some of us battle with loving God because we have not seen people love us and so we base God's love for us on how people have treated us. But she said this, how can God not write you a good love story when he is the author and creator of love? How can he not give you a beautiful relationship when your relationship with him is beautiful? And I thought that, that's what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, this is the love of God. God is always looking out for us. We were jogging the other day, Heidi and I, at Ala Park. And you, there are some routes that you can go. And as we're, as we're, actually we started walking. And then Heidi said, go run if you need to run. And so I started running. And now we go around the park. And I don't know where Heidi is in the park. And so I know this certain route that we usually take. And, and so I'm going to run And then I see her, and by then it's it's evening now, so it's a little dark. I pass her. She's coming towards me. I see her from a distance, and she's jogging towards me, and she's looking down, and I see her. And I'm watching her. She doesn't even tell me hi. Like I run right past her, and I'm thinking, she didn't even see me. So I already did my lap, so I turn around, and now I'm behind her. I'm thinking, I wonder how long she's going to be jogging, not knowing I'm behind her. And so I'm jogging, jogging, jogging. And then she stops and she starts walking. And then she turns around and she sees me. And I'm like, hey, how's it? I was here all the time. And she keeps walking. And so I kind of catch up with her like a little kid. And I'm like, hey, you didn't didn't see me? She's, oh, I did. And she keeps walking. (laughs) And I'm like, you didn't even tell me hi or anything. And she, she said, no, I saw you. I said, wait, you saw me and you didn't say hi? She said, no, I saw you. I knew you were going to turn around and you are going to follow me. <laughs> what, am I trained or something? <laughs> and all the women said, yes. So I, and so I said, so how, how did you see me? You didn't even look up. And, and she said this, and it just, it just blows my mind. And it, it reminded me of our relationship with God. She said this, I was always looking for you while I was jogging. And I knew you would come past me. I didn't have to look up to you. I knew you were there. First, I was like, that's kind of spooky. But secondly, I thought, that's our relationship. Because isn't it true for those who have been married for a long time, you sense their presence, don't you? You know when they come home. You know when they open the door. You know when they wake up. You know when they're going to bed. You know everything about them. You don't even have to let them know you're there. You know they're there, and they know you're there. That's a relationship. That's our relationship with God. You may feel like God doesn't tell you hi, doesn't smile at you, doesn't greet you in the morning, he doesn't recognize you. He knows you're there. He's always looking for you. He's always, he always has his eye on you. Sometimes we pass him by and we just say, okay, God, you don't care. He's saying, no, I see you. I love you with an unconditional, everlasting love. That's why we can love God. We can only love him because he first loved us. We can follow him. He knows we're there. And even though at times you may not sense his presence, he senses yours. He knows that you're right behind him and you're following the ultimate leader. And when you do, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is easy to do because you're following the one who loved us with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. He took it to the cross, bared it all, took on all of our sins, died for us, so that not only could he love us but so now we can love him in return could you say amen to that amen let's bow our heads as we close in prayer heavenly father we thank you for the privilege of loving you and lord we're all at different places in life some of us we we're at a place where we've been loving you with all of our heart and maybe even with our soul but With our mind, Lord, we haven't been making the right decisions or the best decisions for our life. Well, we love you, but we don't love you with our mind. Help us to love you with our mind, Lord. For some, we love you with our mind. We love you with the knowledge of of knowing you and and Scripture, and and we know the things of God, but we don't have passion anymore. We've lost that passion. There's no more joy left. We do the works of God and the hard work work of God rather than the heart work so Lord can you can you create in us a clean heart renew a spirit that that spirit inside of us give us a steadfast spirit some of us love you with all our strength we serve you but we serve you out of duty we serve you out of commitment rather than a heart and passion for you and a joy so renew us Lord Help us to be just like you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, we can always turn to you because your heart is pure, your love is pure, and your love never fails. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen.